comments, questions from last week as we talked about the Lord's Prayer, prayer in general, and then the various petitions that make up the Lord's Prayer, um, and all of those things. Well, I know this is not a new idea or anything, but that whole Lord's Prayer part about lead us not into temptation. Mm-hmm. You know, see, Sue's a big person for punctuation. You know, grammar and all that. <laughs> so it seems to me if it was, and lead us, comma, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So you're, the comma would make a difference yes. in how it's perceived. Well, yeah. So, and we mm-hmm. should take a field trip to my office after class and look at the manuscripts of of one of the, I think, a 5th century Greek text, so from the 400s. Uh-huh. There's no punctuation, of course. Right. And all of the words run together. Yeah. So have I talked about St. Ambrose and Augustine before? I so, think so. Yeah. Yeah, so Ambrose is reading in his office, and Augustine walks in on him, and he's reading silently. Yeah. And that blows Augustine's mind because you had to read aloud to sound out the words. And oh. from there, um, you have to add whatever punctuation... Uh commas, periods, Uh semicolons, the like that you think are fitting. So even in our Greek texts, if you look at the Greek version of the New Testament, um, it has punctuation, but that's all added later. Mm. So Paul is not writing punctuation. None of them. I looked at the King James Version, the ESV, the NIV. Nobody had any kind of punctuation after and lead us. Comma, not in two generations, but deliver us from (laughs) evil. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's interesting to think about, and that is yeah. an interpretive choice that translators have to make. Yeah. So if you're ever really interested, and you don't need to know Greek or Hebrew to do this, which is great, you can put it into Bible Gateway and put whatever passages mm-hmm. you really want to study. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Lord's Prayer from Matthew six, and if I were going to assign homework, maybe I'd do that. You know, yeah. <laughs> go to Bible Gateway and put in the Lord's Prayer from Matthew six, and then mm-hmm. print out about twenty different translations, mm-hmm. and it should allow you to stack them all up right next to each other and you can kind of compare hmm. um how they how they translate it so it's called gateway um, bible it's called bible gateway i think you can do that where you can have uh linda is here so let me get that up um bible gateway where you can add uh add many different translations and there are of course uh in english we're almost spoiled with having too many translations but um, that's a real interpretive choice that everyone has to make. Mm-hmm. What words go with which part of which phrase and clause, mm-hmm. right? Um, and as one of my profs said, grammar is life, and he was not incorrect. And they does not interpretation. No, that's a really interesting thought. Well, I Hi, Linda, can you hear us? Grammar, yeah. I don't know if you can hear us, but I can hear you. I cannot hear you, but also, I think my TV. Now, can you hear us? Plugging the wrong one. Maybe not. Yes. Um. So. Yeah, I mean, the, the the grammar makes a difference. And I think John Paul, no, it wasn't John Paul. Uh, Francis has a point about that. Um, let us not be, what, how did he phrase it? Who was, who was referencing that last week? 
remember. Somebody brought that up about St. Francis saying we should retranslate how we uh, say that and are used to saying that in the Lord's Prayer. But to make it clear, as Luther says, if you look in the Catechism, that's his explanation. God tempts no one. We pray that he would keep us. Right. Keep us from temptation. And then, of course, the connection to the the seventh petition, which follows. Um, Linda, can you hear us? Technology is just so fun. It just doesn't... It doesn't work. always work. Can you hear me? I see you now. I can. Now we can hear you. Yes. Can you hear us? All the, right. The that team. was my fault. Okay. Are you sure? I think it might have been my computer that was <laughs> kicking the audio out to the wrong place. Okay, we'll, we'll share. Okay, that sounds good. Um, and I'll get you on the TV in a minute so uh, everyone can see you, and we'll go from there. Um, and I just sent the PDF, so you should have them. Yes, I do. Okay, perfect. Uh, any other questions on the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, look up, I mean, if you had the, um, I mean, the NIV is the most popular translation still. Mm-hmm. I assume that a lot of people grow up using the NIV, or at least after it came out in 84. I think the first time it came out was 78, and then 84. And uh, I grew up in the NIV, but I assume, well, what did y'all grow up using or reading? Nothing, James. Nothing? <laughs> it's true. It's true. There is one translation that is um, certified <laughs> by the U.S. Council of uh, Cardinals and Bishops, UCCSB, for use in Mass. I think it's a New American Bible. And then nobody ever uses that translation outside of Mass, and so most Catholics will use the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. Okay. Um, if they are Catholics who are reading the Bible at all, which is <laughs> not always a given, of course. Um, Even in Catholic grade school or high school, I don't think the Bible was ever part of any lessons. Okay, yeah, interesting, interesting. Anybody else know what translation they grew up using? I think I had a King James. Okay. That's the one with all the, I don't know, these yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is still very beautiful uh, language, and I oh, think I should, yeah. yeah, should still be used. And um, what is that. going on tonight? Mm, I know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're just going to do it like this, Linda. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, the King James is good, and the new King James came out in 1982. and uh, So that's the same kind of structure of how the King James worked, but without the kind of these and nows and a little less. But you kind of get the worst of all possible worlds because you read the King James, so you have the beautiful language. But um, We use the ESV, which came out in 2001, which the Synod, more or less, the CPH decided that that was going to be the Bible of the Synod when they put it in the hymnal in 2006. And they produced a study Bible on it based in 2009. So um, there are some people who are bitter about that because there was no synodical decision made at convention. <laughs> it was just something CPH decided to do, which is way more inside baseball than you'd ever need to know. But um, every church body has their inside baseball, I suppose. <laughs> Any other thoughts, comments, questions about the Lord's Prayer or Bible translation or... Um, yeah, but let's take a field trip to my office and look at that <laughs> look at that manuscript or that picture of a manuscript, that facsimile, and, and see. Uh, okay, so let's start with the one uh, handout that says Will Williman at the top, William Williman at the top. Um, mm-hmm. How's that for a name if your uh, mm-hmm. mother named you something that's almost virtually identical to your okay. last name? But uh, mm-hmm. this is kind of about the creed. And I think it's very interesting and very uh, different than how we typically think of things today. So, uh, in a church history course, my last year at Yale Divinity School, 
the professor invited an Orthodox priest to lecture. He gave a rather dry talk on the development of the creeds. At the end of the lecture, an earnest student asked, Father Theodore, what can one do when one finds it impossible to affirm certain tenets of the creed? Mm. The priest looked confused. Well, you just say it. It's not that hard to master. With a little effort, most can quickly learn it by heart. Mm. No, you don't understand, continued the student. What am I to do when I have difficulty affirming parts of the creed, like the virgin birth? Mm. So, mm. I am a thoroughgoing modern person. The virgin birth obviously didn't happen, right? Uh, there are these series that are out there, of course, about Mary's pregnancy being some Roman centurion, and then there's this whole story cooked up to, to kind of cover it up, and some people, of course, think it was Joseph, and they were, mm-hmm. they were covering it up and, and all of this. Um, so he has this difficulty affirming parts of the creed, right, which um, from the perspective of faith maybe sounds silly, but of course, I don't know any virgins that have given birth, right? Uh, so it doesn't seem, you know, to come into my normal everyday experience, so maybe that makes makes sense, right? The priest continued to look confused. You just say it. <laughs> right, right. Particularly when you have a difficulty believing it, you must keep saying it. It will come to you eventually. <laughs> Exasperatedly, the student, a product of the same church that produced me, and as a representative of the 60s, pleaded, how can I with integrity affirm a creed in which I do not believe? So what is the creed that we decide as individuals, I believe all of these things, and then we get to confess it, or is it something beyond us in a way? It's not your creed, young man, said the priest. It's our creed. Keep saying it, for heaven's sake. Eventually it may come to you. For oh some, gosh. it takes longer than for others. Oh. How old are you, 23? Don't be so hard on yourself. There are lots of things that one doesn't know at 23. Eventually it may come to you. Even if it doesn't, don't worry. It's not your creed. Hmm. At at that moment, I realized what was wrong with much of the education I had received. A light shone. I got saved from the (laughs) 60s. Is that a good thing to be saved from? I don't know. I wasn't around, so I won't comment. I thanked God that in my ministry I was not being left to my own devices. I did not have to think for myself. Saints led the way. As a theological educator, I needed to recover a sense of myself as accountable to the church rather than subservient to the academy. I need to listen to the church more carefully than the alleged issues of the day. Only then might we as leaders of the church be given to allow our people to arise above the mere contemporary and to engage in critical thinking worthy of the name. Theological education begins by being formed by the saints. So, well, I'll just pause there and ask any thoughts, comments, questions, reactions to that story and an interaction between the young man and the, and the father and the priest, the Orthodox priest. So the, the idea, of course, is partially that the creed exists outside of you. And to put it a little more dramatically, it's true whether you think it's true or not, <laughs> right? And so as he says, if you have trouble believing it, just continue to say it, right? Um, now, that doesn't solve all your problems, right? But I think it is kind of a helpful way to think about it, that very often uh, we will judge things uh, based on our own individual perception of them instead of being formed by them. So because we live in a modern age where we, we are rethinking everything uh, that has gone before us, I guess that's been true for the last two or 300 years, then we tend to treat everything with a kind of suspicion. Oh, uh, perhaps even those silly ancient people were genuine in thinking it was a virgin birth 
because they didn't understand that sex is what makes babies, right? Or they were hoodwinked by Mary and Joseph or, or whatever. Um, I read a commentary once on the book of Exodus by somebody who probably doesn't believe in, in, in God in the same way we do. And he mentioned Moses in the burning bush, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, probably what was happening is that Moses saw a bush whose leaves were red mm. and thought it was burning, mm. as though Moses couldn't tell the difference mm-hmm. between exactly. a bush that's on fire yeah. and a bush that has red leaves, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So and part of that is a kind of, uh, C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery. Mm-hmm. Chronological snobbery where we think that everyone who existed before us was, was kind of ignorant. Which, I mean, makes sense. I have a device in my pocket that tells me what the temperature is going to be tomorrow, and that's pretty remarkable, actually. Um, so it's kind of a merited chronological snobbery, but it's problematic in, in and of its own right. Any thoughts, comments, questions on that? So that's kind of on the creed, and the creed confessing you even before you confess the creed, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just end up back on page 222. What does this mean? I believe in the Holy Spirit. And it just says, I believe that I cannot by my own mm-hmm. reason or strength right. believe mm-hmm. in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. The Holy Spirit is called, I can't understand it. Mm-hmm. I can't right. I can't believe it on my own. Mm-hmm. I can't bring it to the mm-hmm. 60s, 70s, or to 2023 and make mm-hmm. sense out of a virgin mm-hmm. birth. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I've been called and enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Right, right. And uh, the priest doesn't say it in that story, but I'm sure you would say, like, you know, the Holy Spirit's at work and he's saying it. And that's part of the calling, right? And that's part of the enlightening is continuing to say it. Um, and so the role of, uh, I just listened, anybody ever heard, did we talk about the bondage of the will, Luther's bondage of the will? Mm-mm. That we can't actually, we don't choose God for ourselves, he chooses us. And that's kind of the Holy Spirit, the, the calling mm-hmm. by the gospel. And if you look at that text, I heard somebody say this, if you're struggling to think about how to understand that text, you open your book, you know, you go home and your your, your Luther's on your nightstand, right? I'm assuming that's true for everyone here. <laughs> and so you open your copy of The Bondage of the Will to any two pages and you circle all of the time Luther talks about the Holy Spirit. And it's very often because the Holy Spirit's the one who calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies. And he is the one who gives this kind of knowledge of the of the truth. Um Linda, do you have some? Did you have a comment earlier? I'm good. Okay. Um, so thoughts? Yeah. So so the role of the Holy Spirit. People think that Luther is about Jesus only, which is mm. like, kind of true. Mm-hmm. But um, he talks about the Holy Spirit an awful lot mm-hmm. because if faith is going to be very important, and if faith is not going to be our work but God's work, we have to get it from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And as we're going to talk about tonight, sometimes the Holy Spirit works in pretty boring ways, mm-hmm. like water. Right or bread or mm-hmm. someone talking, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Who wants that? We want kind of ecstatic religious experiences mm-hmm. where your your hair is on fire like at Pentecost and you're speaking another language, but that's just not really how the Holy Spirit has chosen to work in the majority of, of cases. Uh, okay, any thoughts, comments, questions? And that's an article of grace, right? That mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit works in boring ways through something that all cultures have available to them, water <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and word and the Bible going out. So, Well, we just live in a day and age where everybody has to understand and everything has to be explainable. Yeah. And it's just not that way. I mean, we can't explain God. 
we right. can uh-huh. understand him and it's yeah. a good thing yeah there's not a science right so so there is a yeah so the scientific revolution um mm-hmm. changes a lot of how we think mm-hmm. and primarily what it does is we stop thinking of the universe as a kind of organic living thing and now it's yeah. a mechanistic mm-hmm. uh thing that we can even manipulate and control mm-hmm. right um like knowing the weather, right? So <laughs> once you have the water cycle and you know why it rains, who needs to pray to God for rain, <laughs> right? You kind of cut God out of all of those discussions. So actually an increase in human knowledge is kind of a problem because it seems like you need God less and less the more humanity can know and understand. <laughs> Even though, really, we're just understanding more of how God built the universe, Right. Mm-hmm. So something like the water cycle, even something on, and I kind of try to give it this in my sermon on Sunday, and I don't know if I had met that goal or not, but an entirely materialistic view of the human person. Why do we fall in love? It's just chemicals mm-hmm. in our brain. It's just serotonin, oxytocin, dopamine. That's the only explanation for human love and affection, right? Well, really, we just know more of how God designed us, even at a biological level, to love to love and relate to one another. Right, that doesn't kind of rule out God just because you have a biological materialist explanation. Does that track make sense? Um, well, it does accept that. <laughs> Flag on the play, go ahead and throw it. Well, yeah. No, it's just that when you are filled with the love of God or you are filled with the Holy Spirit, sometimes actions or emotions or you know, thoughts, you know, just flow out of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that that's, you know, serotonin or dopamine or or, or atoms or whatever. It's response to God's love. Well, you know that as a Christian. Yes. But anybody who's, who is, has thoroughly closed themselves off to the reality of any spiritual being would... would Still just say you're having some kind of experience that's taking place in your brain. Okay. Has anybody ever seen the show The Good Place? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you and Ryan watched it. Um, <laughs> that's probably my favorite TV show of all it's time. Hysterical. Although it's not as appropriate as it could be. So I right. can't formally recommend it to you. But if you ever happen to be <laughs> watching TV, uh, there's a, a um, what is she? She's a neuroscientist. And she's in the afterlife. And she is so convinced, even though she's in the afterlife and all the evidence points to the fact that she's having a real experience in the afterlife and there is life after death, what does she do? She keeps telling herself that this is just something her brain is making up in the throes of death. Mm. So Mm -hmm. even though Mm -hmm. she is there, she's Mm -hmm. talking to people, she's met the kind of God demon character, Mm -hmm. right? The supernatural being, Mm -hmm. uh, she still just refuses to believe it. Mm -hmm. because, And so she ends up treating people horribly because... It doesn't matter. It's all so she goes and you know pushes people into pools because it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. This is just all happening in her brain. Nobody's being hurt. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. So, you so to say, to see it. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you can't. It's hard yeah. to explain the show. Yeah. No. I, uh, yeah. But for somebody who has really closed themselves off to that, they would mm-hmm. they would hear you say that and say you just are having some mm-hmm. neurochemical experience. If you feel like you you feel the Holy Spirit when you're relating to... And you hear people talk about this. I don't know how I would have dealt with that situation mm-hmm. unless the Holy Spirit gave me the words to say or gave me the mm-hmm. patience to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the better parts of being a pastor is you get to hear 
this sounds terrible in a way, but you get to hear people's stories mm-hmm. and you get to hear how much tragedy is in so many people's lives mm-hmm. and how God saw them through it, mm-hmm. right? Um, but if you don't believe in God, you can just say, well, it's just a developed evolutionary response to, to grief because that's how we have to move forward. And that actually seems like an okay argument, mm-hmm. you know. So, how did we get there? Um, that was an interesting diversion, I, I hope. <laughs> That's the other tagline for my Bible class. I hope that was an interesting tangent. Affirming the creed without believing. Without fully, yeah, without fully understanding it or even believing it, right? So even from from the perspective of this young man who's struggling with the virgin birth or something, thing, just do it. <laughs> just say it. Just say it. The church is giving you this. Don't disregard what the saints in the church before have given to you. Um, okay, so that's on the creed. Uh, then the Mortimer Adler quotation is on prayer. Um, and I guess, in one sense, the difference between knowing facts about God and relating to God as a, a, a personal being. I won't say a person because he's not a human. I guess he is in Jesus. But relating to God as a personal being. During, and Mortimer Adler, anybody know the name Mortimer Adler? Mm-mm. He wrote a great book called How to Read a Book, which is, <laughs> sounds silly, but great. You know, it talks about all the things around the text that you kind of want to think about. You want to understand genre. You want to know the, 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 the printing history of it, when it was first printed, what was going on in culture at that time, how you understand uh, literature and books and all of this. Um, extremely brilliant man. Then he's hospitalized, I think, 1984. He grows up as kind of a... a I'll put it this way, a quasi-agnostic Jew. So um, what's really interesting about about Judaism, of course, is it's not just a religion, mm-hmm. but it's a people, too. Mm-hmm. It's an ethnicity, right? So you can have somebody who identifies as a Jew, but is actually their belief is closer to, closest to atheism, mm-hmm. right? There is no metaphysical being called God. Such a being doesn't exist, but I have this Jewish cultural heritage, and I still affiliate with it that way. Mm-hmm. And Adler is closer to kind of a kind a uh, agnosticism about it, saying, "Well, something might exist." Uh, and the great tradition, all of these books I've read, would say that something exists. But then he is in the hospital and begins to relate to God. I'll put it that way. During this long stay in the hospital, I suffered a mild depression, and often when Caroline visited me, I would unaccountably burst into tears. Father Howell, the rector of St. Chrysostom's Church, also visited me. And once when, at my bedside table, he prayed for my recovery, I choked up and wept. The only prayer that I knew word for word was the Pater Noster, so the Our Father. Mm -hmm. On that day and in the days after it, I found myself repeating the Lord's Prayer again and again and meaning every word of it. Quite suddenly, when I was awake one night, a light dawned on me, and I realized what had happened without recognizing it clearly when it first happened. I had been seriously praying to God... But I had not said at the end of How to Think About God, so he writes this book called How to Think About God that surveys all of the best thinking of God over the last 2,500 years. I had not said at the end of How to Think About God that no one who understood the God of the philosophers as well as I did would worship that God or pray to him. So if you really understand the God of philosophers, perhaps Aristotle's unmoved mover, something like that, you wouldn't actually worship or pray to him, right? Just kind of an impersonal being who sets the world in motion and leaves it be. Only if, by the gift of grace, one made the leap of faith across the chasm to the God of religious Jews and Christians, 
would one engage in worship and prayer, believing in a morally good, loving, just, and merciful God? Here, after many years of affirming God's existence and trying to give adequate reasons for that affirmation, I found myself believing in God uh, and praying to him. Okay, so that's uh, Mortimer Adler. Um, so I guess the difference between making these kind of dry, cold, calculated, rational, reasonable arguments about the fact that some God exists and actually relating to that God, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if you want real examples of, of Christian virtue and what it means to be a Christian, look to the old women of the church <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who have suffered much and prayed through it all, mm-hmm. right? And even if they don't know as much as X, Y, or Z person, mm-hmm. right? That's the, the filling the intellect is not really entirely the point. Even though obviously I like that. <laughs> so uh, as you can tell, that's a priority of mine. And even what Paul says in Romans 12 about uh, be transformed by the renewal of your mind and how often we're kind of kept captive uh, by held captive, I should say, by thoughts that are and, and thinking that is not according to uh, God's design for humanity. Um, but there's more to life than just the intellect and knowledge. Okay. However, on the back page, did we talk about language for God last week? Um, I want to, these are a little bit more, these are each a little bit more heady. And to get to baptism, we want to kind of rush through these. But we'll, we'll talk about these next week, maybe. Um, and read through them this week and see if you have any thoughts about it. Uh, that, that middle paragraph. In the grand and carefully placed words of Adam Clark, God is, here we go, the eternal, independent, and self-existent being, semicolon, there's your your good punctuation, the being whose purposes and actions spring from himself without foreign motive or influence, he who is absolute in dominion, the most pure, the most simple, the most spiritual of all essences, infinitely perfect and eternally self-sufficient, needing nothing that he has made, illimitable in his immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence, and indescribable in his essence, known fully only by himself, because an infinite mind can only be fully comprehended by itself. In a word, a being who from his infinite wisdom cannot err or be deceived, and from his infinite goodness can do nothing but what is eternally just and right and kind. Mm-hmm. So, so reaction to that, and what is sounds good? Sounds great. Yeah, as Dallas Willard <laughs> says, it would be surprising if you found this easy reading. However, it's a lot like Shakespeare, not just old but incredibly rich. Um, so, the idea that the language that we use can actually shape our view of reality. Anybody ever hear the name Temple Grandin? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So fascinating she, woman. Fascinating woman, and she studied the Indian tribe that did not have a future tense in their language, right? Mm. So there was no, I, if I'm getting the story correctly, there was no easy way for them to talk about future events. And because they did not have an easy future tense to use in their language, they weren't very good at planning for the future. You know, if you say what will happen tomorrow if there's a, next month, next year, if there's a famine and we have no food, and they can't think in those cat- categories because the word will and the concept of the future tomorrow doesn't exist, that entirely affects your society, right? See, I was thinking of the Temple Grandin who revolutionized the way animals go to slaughter. 
Yes. Autistic. Um, uh-huh. Cared for when she was young. I didn't know about the... In fact, I started reading one of her books. But do you ever see the movie? I did not. There's a movie? There is a movie. The name of the movie is Temple Grandin. And it talks about her life as an autistic child and the things that she did that led her... She's a professor somewhere, maybe Montana, on agriculture. Okay. But, yeah. Huh. That's how I know of her, because sure. she overcame some of her autism, and sound like Kate knows about her, too. Yeah, no, <laughs> oh. yeah, mm-hmm. saw the movie. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. So, I, but that part, I don't remember in the movie. Brian Andrew waving. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bye, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll have to look that up, up, look, look up that, look up, look that up for next week. I, mm-hmm. I, I'll talk to my wife, because she was the one who told me about that, but there's some story. There may be something. Some yeah. culture where they don't have a future tense. Okay. Mm-hmm. And think about how, I mean, can you make plans to meet somebody for coffee tomorrow if you don't have the thought concept of tomorrow? Hmm. So his, yeah. his I think Dallas Willard's point, he's writing this book in 1998, is that we have pretty systematically dumbed down our language in the hmm. last couple uh, decades, maybe even centuries. And maybe that's, we have lit, well, we've poured gasoline on that problem with, with <laughs> cell phones and the internet. Mm-hmm. Um and yet our language is key to our understanding of God, because if we can talk about things in a rich language, uh, that affects how we think of such a person. Um, so, and God is simultaneously the God of, of this paragraph by Adam Clark, and then also, what a friend we have in Jesus, mm. right? So mm-hmm. it's both at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the current problem might be that we have the Jesus who is friend and not the Jesus who is also a mighty king and described in all of these rich terms. Possibly. In any case, we're kind of back to the issue of you have both the transcendence of God and the, the imminence, the closeness, the familiarity of God, which is kind of scary because then God might be a threat to you if he is both transcendent and all-powerful and he also knows you better than you know yourself. <laughs> I never thought of that as a threat. Me either. I found it very comforting. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because you're a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. I assume yeah. <laughs> that that yes, yeah. So yeah. if you if you don't though, I mean, so Luther's. I mean, not to to read everything through the lens of Luther, but his he has the kind of monastery experience of really trying to be holy, mm-hmm. and not this understanding that he wouldn't, you know, never make it. That he would never make it. That right. he had to spend all night. And maybe he has. Some people think Luther had obsessive compulsive disorder. Right, and there is a dimension of a mental health diagnosis for OCD that is religious scrupulosity. Mm-hmm. There's a sub-diagnosis for religious scrupulosity in which people who have religious scrupulosity, obsessive compulsive disorder, will, you know, be trying to cross themselves and think, mm-hmm. "Oh, I did it too much to the right or the left. It doesn't count," mm-hmm. or, yeah. or all of this, and be extremely wow. scrupulous about it. Yeah. Um, and so you, you do have to kind of account for temperament changes there's also the way that we can interpret our life's experience and suffering as some kind of punishment after all if god is really uh all powerful and knows everything and in some sense foreordains or allows everything Mm -hmm. then your suffering you, you can't really let god off the hook for your suffering i'll put it that way you know i keep i always keep thinking back that if you if you can spend your life trying to understand the essence of God, 
mm-hmm. to a point where you've wasted your life. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, just a couple little things in here as I was reading through it uh-huh. that really gives you a lot of comfort. Mm-hmm. You know, this one uh, back here about... Uh, um, Actually, I can't find it. Oh, only if by the gift of grace one made the leap of faith mm-hmm. across the chasm. Mm-hmm. That, that tells me that God's given us that gift of grace mm-hmm. to help us yeah, absolutely. understand what we don't understand. And then. Right. And or. Then, well, sorry, keep yeah, going. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. And then finally, the other one uh, was uh, his essence known fully mm-hmm. only by himself because an infinite mind can only be be fully comprehended by itself and mm-hmm. fully yeah mm-hmm. there, there's one entity that can understand god that's god, that's god. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so um it's the art of letting god be god yeah right therefore grace grace and, and faith and trust right. even right. when things are bad that mm-hmm. it's it's in god's hands yeah the adjective that really jumped out at me that was the most simple. I mean, we just right. We think so, of, I think of you know God is <laughs> yeah he's everything he's you know but he's in my mind I never thought of him as being simple. So that's a before. loaded term, which goes. I don't mean way, like a simple ton. I mean no. It's it means it has something to do with the unity of his will. So we have divided wills. Where we want many different things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as it says there, he is not influenced by foreign motives, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I grew up in Nebraska, so I wanted to fit in. So I rooted for the Huskers instead of Mm -hmm. cheering for another team, right? I was influenced by foreign motives, i.e. other people, Mm -hmm. whereas God is not. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And divine simplicity, I'd have to look that up a little bit more for next week, but divine simplicity has something to do with the unity of God's will compared to our human wills. And there's kind of an argument about divine simplicity happening right now in among learned people who write books and talk to each other hmm. that way. So the most simple is not... Uh, divine you, simplicity is is a loaded term that has a history, I'll put it that way. Well, to me it just says, you know, he is who he is, what he is, who he says he is. It's just that simple. <laughs> you know? I think that that is getting to the heart of, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I'm going to punt on that to next week. I'm going to take a mulligan. Is that all right? Sure. Uh, yeah. I okay. mean, you don't even have to bring it up again. <laughs> it's just, it was just meaningful for three you. little words yeah, that right, jumped out at me. Right. Um, any last, any other comments on Dallas Willard there? In the last, one by Peter Berger, who is a sociologist of religion. He's a Lutheran, but he's not trying to write this from the perspective of faith. He's simply trying to, to describe in sociological human terms what religions do. So how religions function in the lives of people. The word of the world, I think it's supposed to be world. I translate, I copied that wrong. Oh, it's wrong. The world of sacred order by virtue of being an ongoing human production, is ongoingly confronted with the disordering human forces of human existence and time. So cultures create these religions and we worship to our gods here, but then what happens when we make all the right sacrifices in the rain, God doesn't provide rain for us? Then our religion can fall apart into nothingness, right? Uh, The precariousness of every such is revealed 
Each time men forget or doubt the reality defining affirmations, each time they dream reality denying dreams of madness, and most importantly, each time they consciously encounter death. And here is the, the very famous quotation from him. Every human society is, in the last resort, men banded together in the face of death. The power of religion depends, in the last resort, upon the credibility of the banners it puts in the hands of men as they stand before death, or more accurately, as they walk inevitably toward it. Ugh. That's a huge, loaded bunch of words. Depressing. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that's depressing? Really? Okay. I what? mean, yeah. Well. It's, at every human society <laughs> is in the last resort. Men banded together in the face. You know, I mean, I don't know. It just. Well. It doesn't sound very. It's not welcoming, is it? Welcoming, yeah. <laughs> well, he's a sociologist, not a pastor. So yeah. um, he, what he's trying to get at is, is death is a fundamental human problem. Mm-hmm. And so the validity for him of every religion depends on, in some ways on what it tells you about what's going to happen when you die mm-hmm. and, and how well it copes with that problem. And he's a Lutheran, mm-hmm. so he's a sociologist. So he'll, he'll say, he'll make a point about the resurrection and say, mm-hmm. not that that works. Not only does it work because it's true, mm-hmm. but it also is the only real answer to the human problem of death. Um. But, I mean, if I make a religion that is about having inspiring speeches and working really hard, that's great until one member of my religion dies and I have nothing mm-hmm. to say about it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so he is trying to take it as a purely sociological how do religions function. Mm-hmm. And he is a Christian, but that, that mm-hmm. his analysis doesn't depend on that in this. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's fine. I'm sorry, it was depressing. <laughs> um, it just, I think his point would be that the resurrection of Christ yeah. and knowing that the God who raised Jesus will also raise you right. is the only credible banner in, the, in your hands as right. we all march towards death. Right. As the psalmist says, we have 70 years or by reason of strength 80, mm-hmm. but all our days are numbered. So mm-hmm. teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, in any event, uh, I find those uh, edifying. I hope yeah. you do as well. Let's move to well, baptism. Interesting, yeah. I hope. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're we're kind of shifting in the catechism from uh, we did what is to be done with the small the, the small catechism with the Ten Commandments. What's to be done? Uh, what's to be believed? What God gives us in the creed? What we say in the creed? And then how we kind of respond in phase two that with prayer, with this relationship with God. Now, we're kind of backing up in some ways with the next three chief parts of baptism, Lord's Supper, and, and the Office of the Keys, Confession, and Absolution to cover how we, we have that grace, how, uh, what does Mortimer Adler describe it as, the leap of faith across the chasm to the God of religious Jews and, and Christians, or we say the God of, of Christians, right? And, of course, we're going to say in the Lutheran Church that that begins, in one sense, as at baptism. Or we should say, for most people, that begins at baptism, though that raises a host of other related questions that we'll hopefully uh, cover in the next 20 minutes. We'll see. Um, so how does one uh, become a Christian? How does one, this is not very well phrased, I did not phrase this very well, how does one keep on being a Christian? 
That's maybe a trick <laughs> trick question. So feel free to throw out any answers. God, God calls us to faith. Right. So the initiative is even God's, which is which is true. And there's this kind of split in theology generally between what we would describe as um, anybody ever heard the name Arminius or Jacob Arminius, uh, Arminian theology, those who can choose for themselves in some way uh, to live for God. And that choice begins the process of their salvation. And something like mm. Lutheranism and Calvinism, where God is the one who has the prerogative of choosing and calling you through the Holy Spirit. So um, God is the one who calls. And we would even say God, the Holy Spirit, is the one keeping us in the one true faith, as, as the Catechism says. So... Um, is being a Christian a matter of knowing and believing the right things? Is it primarily about knowledge? And it's just about, well, believing the right things? Well, doctrine is good, but there's something even beyond knowing the truth. Uh, Violet thinks Jesus is all kinds of things, all kinds of different days, right? <laughs> so um, she can't, she knows Jesus, you know, someday she thinks Jesus is an angel or whatever, right? So she can't fully articulate the truth yet. Mm -hmm. uh, as completely as we all perhaps could, but that's not the real core of it. The core of it is faith granted by the Holy Spirit. Um, or is being a Christian a matter of feeling and experiencing the right things? That it's primarily a matter of what we feel and experience is kind of experience of God. And feelings and experience aren't bad, but neither are they the real core of the, the issue. So I think I may have mentioned this a few weeks back. Tell me if this tracks... Most churches, most church bodies, most denominations tend to fall off on one side of the horse, either emphasizing thinking and believing and knowing or emphasizing feeling and experiencing and doing. And those, you just kind of tend to do that. And I think the Missouri Synod falls off the horse on thinking and knowing and believing. But I could be wrong in my perception there. But anybody with any other different church backgrounds want to... Comments on that, right, wrong, or indifferent? It it seems to me that when we rely on knowing, mm -hmm. that seems to be a human trait. And uh -huh. when we try to know and explain and understand on our own, that can be a dangerous ground. Yes. Because that then puts it in our saddle instead of in his. That's a good way to pray. That's a good way to phrase it. It puts the onus on us and not God. So our faith can be in our knowledge and not in the one true God. If, if I can phrase it that way, is that yeah? So I had a I had a professor at seminary who described the problems. You know, this is a new member class, so I shouldn't be talking about the problems in Missouri Synod, the inside baseball, the everything going wrong in our church body, which of course is every church body, um, and ours is 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 pretty good all things considered um he's got to look at the not look at the forest for the trees sometimes but uh he described one of the one of the problems of the missouri synod as saying that we have we have more pride in our ability to confess the truth than faith in what the truth confesses that is jesus so we have more pride in our ability to confess the truth than the truth which we confess that is jesus mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um other uh, 
other denominations might fall on the opposite side of the horse. And there's a lot of emphasis put on these kind of conversion experiences. Mm -hmm. And I was saved at this age because I went to this camp or this meeting and I had this very powerful experience. And because Mm -hmm. of that experience, Mm -hmm. that's how I kind of know that I'm saved. that can be equally problematic for yeah, the whole Pentecostal thing. All kinds or, of reasons. Yeah. Yes. And we'll kind of get to the baptism of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. on the outline. And there is that kind of extra demand for you don't really know you're saved unless you have a second baptism, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you start speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. And that would be a pretty extreme branch of, of mm-hmm. Pentecostalism mm-hmm. that I think would insist that you're not saved unless you have mm-hmm. some kind of experience like that. Um, which means that people start lying mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. saying a bunch of gibberish and right. speaking in tongues in, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, in any case, uh, so as a response to that, we look at God's gracious acts in what we call the means of grace. So how does the Holy Spirit, what are the means and the tools, what are the ordinary human ways that God has, uh, and this is a deliberate choice to use this word, God has condescended to us Mm -hmm. to speak to us in very ordinary ways well one of them is the bible of course that god chooses to speak in human language through human authors uh even that's really quite remarkable that the god of the entire universe chooses to talk to us through human beings the other is the means of grace or the sacraments that we call baptism the rite of initiation into the church the body of christ and the lord's supper the body and blood of christ food then for our journey of faith and the absolution, the uh, spoken word of forgiveness, either by the pastor or fellow Christian that assures us of our forgiveness and our standing uh, before God. So what would we say makes a sacrament? Lutherans would define sacraments, and this is in your catechism as well if you want to review it, uh, as having the following elements, that they are directly instituted by God, by Jesus specifically in Scripture. So in the Gospel of Matthew, for example, in in, uh, chapter 26, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper as an ongoing meal the disciples are to have. Two chapters later, in Matthew 28, he tells them to go and baptize all nations, teaching them all that I have commanded you. So Jesus actually commands us to do it, and that Christ joins his word of promise to a visible element. In this case of baptism, water. In the case of the Lord's Supper, bread and wine. And that through this word plus the visible element, then he bestows his gifts of the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. So that's sacraments in general. Yes, yeah, So the way I heard you explain it, uh-huh. it seemed to me that absolution is like a, a heading and then coming from that would be baptism and the Lord's Supper if that's how absolution takes place. I've just never heard of absolution as being part of a, a Lutheran yeah. sacrament. Well, and that's why some people say we have two sacraments or mm-hmm. we have two and a half, we have three. Okay. Because what's what's the visible element in absolution? The pastor. Or your fellow Christian. Well, what's the problem with a pastor or their fellow Christian? <clears throat> They're sinners too. Right. It's part of the problem. Um, now, are you yeah, Linda. Are you are you suggesting the office of the keys? Yeah. So the opposite is, is the opposite of the keys. Is that sacramental ish, or as the kids say today, sacramental adjacent? Yes, <laughs> but it's not. Uh, it's, it's not, mm-hmm. how do you put it? Not a sacrament in the same way 
as Baptists, there's a, there's a difference there. Okay. Part of it is because uh, your relationship to the pastor might affect how uh, you view the absolution. <laughs> and, and it shouldn't, because I'm just a vessel. I'm just a warm body up there that's been ordained, right? It should have yeah. nothing to do with me. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes it does. Okay. And, and uh, the other thing is, what happens if you're baptized by a hypocrite? What if you're baptized by a pastor who later says that he wasn't even uh, a Christian and he just did it because it was convenient and then he got out of the ministry? Is that a valid baptism or not? Yeah. At the time, I it think was. so. Yeah. Yes, yes. Water. absolutely. Right. Water and word, right? Because right. he word. could turn and you can't, away later. And you can't. Well, yeah, but even if he were saying that he didn't believe any of it while he was doing it, is it still a baptism? Yes. Yes. Water, water and word, mm-hmm. right? So the guy who baptized me baptized me in June, and I think by July it was revealed that he'd been having an affair for the past two years, mm-hmm. and so he was mm-hmm. defrocked. Right, okay. so mm-hmm. uh, my baptism doesn't defend doesn't depend on the character of the guy who administered it, mm-hmm. right? So, so back to Sue's point about absolution, forgiveness of sins being a sacrament. Uh-huh. In, in fifty years, sixty years ago, in confirmation, some undetermined amount of time ago, <laughs> yeah, close with the sixty, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there were only two sacraments. Right. Is the way we were brought up. Yeah. Baptism and Holy mm-hmm. Communion. But in this explanation on uh, 282, I, I sort of buy into this, yeah, maybe there's a third uh, in that there's a human element being a pastor. Mm-hmm. There is God's Word being the forgiveness. Yeah. And, and in that forgiveness is an element that's required through baptism and Holy Supper and, and absolution and confession. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, even though 60 years ago it was only two, I, yeah, I could, I could sort of accept this third one that I didn't remember, didn't know about at that time. Right, and I think that's actually, um, man, it's a night for inside baseball. I think that that's changed in the Missouri Senate in the last 60 years, actually, where there's... That there is actually more of an emphasis on pastors today than there might have been Mm. 30, 40 years ago. Pastors as being kind of sacramental in and of themselves. And I could be wrong in reading the kind of church body movement on that. You you become the human element. Yeah. The element. Yeah, in a sense. In a sense. In the words. His doings, but through you. Right, exactly. The words that you use. Right, the they're not my words, but God's mm-hmm. words. You know, this is power that was given to you. Right. And it's gone back, hopefully. Did screen just die? I don't know what happened. Um, can you still hear us, Linda? You know, um, I don't really read that much stuff about Catholic churches, but for some reason, things keep popping into my head. Um, it seems like it was just a few years ago that it was discovered that some priests were not using the right language. And therefore, I think it was about baptisms and that they became invalid because they weren't using exactly, for example, it's important in our faith to say uh, in the name name of the Father and of the Son and and of the Holy Spirit in those exact words. Is that correct? Yes, um, and I'm not scowling and at you if you can still see me, Mike. Words aren't used. 
It's are you really baptized? Right. Um, my computer was was is still on the fritz here, so I'm glad you can still hear me. Um, the controversy, as I understand. Okay, good. And I wasn't scowling at you. I was scowling at my computer, which I don't know. <laughs> I'm still scowling at my computer because I'm not sure what's going on. Um, there was a priest. That turned off about 20 minutes ago. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, oh, that. Have a signal. I'm gonna. Maybe that'll help. I don't know. Um, there was a priest who baptized not as I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. but we baptize you yeah. mm-hmm. as saying it was an action of the entire church, mm-hmm. which is which is true enough. It is an action of the entire church. But it's administered typically through the pastor, obviously, mm-hmm. even though any Christian can baptize. And in the back of your catechism, mm-hmm. uh, there's a there's a short form, but for good mm-hmm. order, it's right. reserved to pastors because we don't want to abuse the gift and and mm-hmm. um, and do whatever. Uh, so this priest had done that, and they had a ruling that all of those baptisms he had done were invalid, and I think they needed to be mm-hmm. yeah. baptized again. I do remember yeah. that. And I, and I understand the need to say this is the language that this is the language Jesus gives us. I baptize this is the language the church has used, but that was a little bit too fine of a point for mm-hmm. me to say that those were invalid baptisms. Because obviously you had the, the word, you had the triune name, you had the mm-hmm. community of believers there. Mm-hmm. Um, the intent was, was there with just one word being different. Um, does that respond to, to your question, Linda? Yeah. I mean, it does. It, it's not good to, to tinker with the words. I'll put it that way. Cause those are the words that the church has given us both in the case of baptism and in the case of the Lord's supper, mm-hmm. the, the words of institution. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see the guy wanting to be inclusive, you know, like as a community, but here, you know, the pastor does the baptism, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then at the end of the baptism, it's like, we welcome you into the mm-hmm. family, the community, right. whatever. Right. So in our right, it has that. Right. And usually that's a, a, a lay minister that, or somebody right, else who comes up and says, after we welcome you. After the, the, the pastor church. has done. Right. And so you don't want to tinker with the language that is right. the, actual, the actual ritual, the right. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and not because it's magic or it won't be a baptism if you say we baptize you. Although at what point can you not, can you, at what point can you tinker with it until it's no longer a baptism, right? If you right. just baptize in the name of the Spirit right, or the Father or something like that, is that still a Christian baptism? Now you're really raising some questions. Or if, and this would raise kind of the question of Mormonism, if you baptize in the Trinitarian name, as I think many Mormons do now, but you have a completely different understanding of all three members of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, is that still a baptism, right? Because Jesus is not God. Mm. He is a, a human creature like any of us who was perfected. Hmm. Do they have a spirit in the Mormon faith? Uh, I think there's some spirit because I think they have switched to baptizing the triune name, but I don't know Mormonism well enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that that was during, it was, it, I mean, it started with Joseph Smith and, and mm-hmm. um, where is it? In, by Kansas City, right? Independence? Mm-hmm. Or was it in Indiana? Was, well, he came from upstate New York, yeah. which was the site of all the revivals, so many religious revivals, they called it the burned over district. Because oh. these fire and brimstone preachers would come, mm-hmm. there'd be a, an upswing of religious revivalism, and then it would mm-hmm. die over. And another one would come, and so it was, it was burned over. It was, everyone was just tired of. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of in the water. And then he, you know, according to the story, he prayed, 
Mm-hmm. And God told them, God and an angel appeared to him and said that if there are no true religions, mm-hmm. every Christian religion is wrong. Mm-hmm. You've got to found this this church and the whole um, seeing mm-hmm. stones and everything. Mm-hmm. But Moroni. Yeah, he saw the angel Moroni, which you can still see on um, mm-hmm. on every Mormon church, right? right, right. Every right. Mormon, what do they call them, uh-huh. temple? Temples, so right. that is, a, and it points east mm-hmm. to, right. it points east here in St. Louis, right? Yes. And what's it pointing to when it points east? Is that just the, the rising of the sun, like? Well, it's most Christian ready churches for when Jesus comes back. Right, most Christian churches yeah. are built to the east as well, too, except right. ours, because um, we're facing, we're we're better marketers than that. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna face Clarkson. I is there is there a history of our our architecture and our design that would explain that decision? I assume that's why, and I could be making the wrong assumption of why it faces that way. Because I mean, you could face it east, and then I don't know. Um, <laughs> We'll have to write a book for our 50th anniversary and figure it out. I'm excited about that. Um, so two, maybe three sacraments. Oh, is it 8 o'clock? The yep. clock is so cruel. Uh, we'll have to wrap this up next week and maybe cut into our review session at the end of, at the end of uh, I almost said at the end of time. Oh. <laughs> at the end well, of our class. As long as we're there with our banners. And we're, you, know. you have the best banner through Jesus. That's right. Um, we're, we're, so, and this would be different yeah. than the Roman Catholic Church, who will, they have seven sacraments, right? But yes. sacraments do not need to be instituted by Jesus in the right. same way. Mm-hmm. And you, by definition, can't have all the sacraments because marriage is a sacrament, mm-hmm. and holy orders is oh, also Lord. a sacrament, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so. They have a, a just a different understanding and a different definition from the first part, and we would maybe quibble with it. But you can understand kind of what they're saying about marriage, for example, as a sacrament, because if you're getting married and you are engaging in the marital act and that act is open to life, God is involved in the creation of that human being. So that, um, but that doesn't bring forgiveness of sins, right? But they would say sacraments don't need to bring forgiveness of sins ah, in that okay. way. But isn't penance a sacrament? Yeah, like when you go to confession, that's considered a sacrament, I think. Right, that is considered sacrament. The last right, they don't call extreme it now. Yeah, yeah, extreme unction. Oh yeah, but people can get extreme unctions many times because mm. I know mm-hmm. maybe it's not extreme unction. I don't, is that on your deathbed? Mm. I thought so, but I could be wrong. That would be another sense. My, to, my to look dad up. had priest friends, a lot of them, and they'd always give him the last rites. They would call it, but then one priest said it's called That's extreme unction. Mm. So and, I don't know. Yeah, and we do a form of last rites. Mm-hmm. Um, that is confession, and absolution, mm-hmm. prayers, and mm-hmm. and praying to Whitney and that kind of thing. And so it's. Mm-hmm quasi-sacramental because it's back to absolution. There's mm-hmm. God commands the disciples to do it, mm-hmm. to forgive. We just had that reading on, on Sunday, whatever you bind will be bound, whatever you loose mm-hmm. will be loosed. Uh, and then, uh, and there's a human element. And it's, it's so anyway, um, it's, it's sacramental, if not a sacrament. Okay. But, you know, there's, there's all kinds of questions you could, you could raise here. Um, that we'll mostly leave off for um, next week. Um, so if you want to take this home and then review it at all, uh, if you'd like, or think about this Dallas Willard um, quotation, do some fun Googling on British empiricism, Kantian rationalist reaction to it. The richly informative language needed to nourish 
thoughtful faith in God is no longer functional in our cultural setting. I forgot a period there. Um, back to our discussion of periods. So that is true, I think, um, that our language is eroded mm-hmm. in general. And I don't really know what to make of that. And maybe I'm thinking of a time when it when it wasn't that doesn't exist. You know, maybe you think about sod houses in out-of-the-way places like Nebraska, and they were living in squalor, but at least they read the Bible and Shakespeare every night. Mm-hmm. And maybe it wasn't actually like that, right? But um, I do think there was something to the fact that language is, is eroded. And we talked about C.S. Lewis last week, The Abolition mm-hmm. of Man, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, men without chest, and you're taught to say... Uh, not that the waterfall is sublime or beautiful, but that I believe or I mm. think the waterfall is sublime or beautiful. Oh, please. What's that? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> on that note, on... Oh, I on mean, it's just sounding all this PC stuff and, yeah. So, never mind. Well, that is, yeah, so the battle over language is relevant mm-hmm. and matters. Um, and we could, I mean, we could... What time is it? You want to be here another hour and talk about transgenderism and what no. to do about being hospitable, but also telling the truth. Yes. And I think something about an issue of using someone's preferred pronouns hits at that dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know, and I know, very faithful Orthodox Christians who land on both sides of that issue and say, "I use their preferred pronouns because I be hospitable to them." Mm-hmm. And the kind of move that the priest makes, you just say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, the way we use language matters. Mm-hmm. And if we speak into what is not true, that is not ultimately fruitful. Maybe that's what that one priest was doing. We baptized in the name of the Father. The yeah, one who did the wrong. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, he identified as more than one gender? Right. No, I think it was something else, but that is a funny thought. Um, yeah, I don't think so, but I can look into it. I don't think he was transgender in the 80s or whatever it was. but. Uh, and, of course, the language can create a kind of, um, I mean, language is powerful. Yeah. And how we describe the world matters. Um, and the words we say to one another really matter. So uh, so I should be more disciplined in all my Bible studies. <laughs> but, but that'll never happen, so uh, just pray for God to give me grace to close my mouth, because that's what I need. More than anything, any last prayer requests, or should we pray? I think that the people that are being affected by the hurricane and the yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the hurricane? It starts with an I. Or yeah. an H. Adalia or something. Yes, yeah, Adalia. I D A L I A. Maybe. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Okay. We will pray for, uh, pray for them. And Linda, I'm going to mute your mic as we pray together the Lord's prayer. Okay, I was just going to give you the name of it because I have a brother who's right. In the, in okay. The, uh, and he, uh, we've been texting back and forth about that now. Yeah, and so what's the name of it? Of course, I we've texted so much, I, I don't know where I it's at. It's IDA. So never it's mind. It's Idalia. Yeah. I-D-A-L-I-A. I-D-A-L-I-A. I've never heard that name before. Me either, but it's probably going to be a popular one. There we go. Very good. Well, let us us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening and the conversation that we've had around uh, your word and your truth. We pray that you would give us grace uh, to uh, receive, and we thank you, Lord, for the gift of faith, that uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ, and through sending us the Holy Spirit, you have crossed the gap. Uh, that you have crossed the chasm to us uh, as sinful people and raised us to newness of life. We pray for all those who are in harm's way 
uh, with a hurricane, we pray that you would guard them, watch them, and protect them, uh, and that you would keep them safe from all harm and danger. And Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We won't see you next week. Gene and I will be gone. We'll be at another meeting. I think you will too, won't you? I will. <laughs> MMC. MMC. Well, that's right. We're having it on Tuesday yeah. because of Labor Day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. We had talked about that. Okay. Yeah. You may okay. be there too. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we'll have to move. Excuse yourself and yeah, and uh, take care of this. And we'll, move well, I think we had talked about that, right? That I would just yeah. get an MMC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Very good. Sharon will take notes for me. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So I appreciate that. I haven't sent out the uh, agenda draft yet. Yeah, I did too. I did. I so we will have a class next Tuesday.